Well, that's a tough act to follow. <laughs> if we've not met before, my name is Samuel Mock. It's good to be here in the house of the Lord with you this morning. We've been in a series on the book of Acts. Uh, through the series, we're hoping to look back at the first church and the Acts of the Apostles, empowered by the Holy Spirit, in order that we would learn from their mistakes and their victories so that we can catch a vision for what God is doing here today in our church and in the future of his church. Today we're talking about confrontation. Some of you may have had confrontation this morning on your way into church, maybe with someone on your drive to church. Confrontation is a part of our lives. It's always going to happen with our friends, our family, even our coworkers. So then the question becomes, how do we have confrontation? When is it appropriate? How should we respond when it happens? To be clear, confrontation is described as the clashing of forces or ideas by Webster Dictionary. So then, how as Christians are we to respond to confrontation? Let me pray for us this morning, and we'll dive into what God has for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We ask now that you would give us a peace, a spirit of calm, Lord. Remove anything that would distract us from your word for us, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to sit here in this church, Lord, and worship you. This does not feel unique to us. It's part of our Sunday routine, Lord, but in other parts of the world, this could not happen. And so we recognize and give you thanks for this morning, for this opportunity. Father, let us, let us be transformed, even in your presence now, through all that you are doing in this service, through praise and confession, through the reading and proclamation of your word. Help us to grow more and more into the image of your son. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. So as I said, we'll be going over the topic of confrontation this morning. The goal of this for some of us is to free us, to help us realize that confrontation doesn't have to be bad that it's not necessarily something that we should always avoid. For others of us, it's to give us perspective. Maybe you're a challenger like me. That's my Enneagram 8, which means that I rush into confrontation. I, I find that it's a good thing most of the time, but sometimes I should sit back and decide, is this confrontation worthy of having? Or is it getting in the way of the greater goal? And so whether it's to free you, to allow you to have confrontation, or to give you perspective on when you should have confrontation, I pray that this message would empower you. We're going to follow the Apostle Paul as we see him deal with confrontation in three different forms. The first confrontation will be with another, a man named Barnabas that he's been doing ministry with for some time. The next confrontation will be one of his own values. 
and the values of the Jews that he will be teaching. The final confrontation will actually be with God. His plan versus God's plan. So to give you context, as we've been going through the scriptures, Paul and Barnabas have been on this missionary journey. They've went to several churches and are teaching and preaching the gospel. And around this time, there are men who begin to preach a false gospel, the gospel of circumcision. These would be Jews in in the past, in the Old Testament, you'll read that God had set his people apart by circumcision. It was the covenant that he had for his people. And so these Jews are saying, now you must be circumcised to be saved. So the apostles, they all gather together in order to discuss this. Is this necessary for our Gentile brothers and sisters? Or is this extra biblical? And they decide that because Jesus Christ has fulfilled the law, it is no longer necessary. There is a new covenant under Jesus Christ. And circumcision would not be something placed on the brothers who are Gentiles. From this time, the rest of the apostles leave, but Barnabas and Paul, they continue to preach and teach the gospel in that place. This is where our text picks up, Acts 15, 36 to 41. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord, And see how they are now. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought it best not to take with them the one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they were separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, and he went through Cyrus and he went through Cyrus and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. Here we see two men who love the Lord and have been teaching and preaching the gospel along with one another for quite some time. And they get into an argument should we or should we not take Mark on the second journey of this mission? They're going back to the churches that they had previously preached in to strengthen them and to also give them the new word that it's not required of them to be circumcised as Gentiles. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, as he's called in Acts earlier, I think Acts 13, he wants to take Mark, who is his cousin. He's wanting to develop Mark and his ability for ministry. This is an honorable thing Barnabas wants to do. However, Paul says, no, we cannot take him. He was with us before on this journey, and he departed from us. He, he being Paul, uh, sees it as a labor that would be too much for them, or possibly too much for Mark himself. Uh, Mark departs from them after encountering a sorcerer. And in the time of encountering the sorcerer, Paul actually blinds him through the power of the Lord for a few days. It worked for Paul being blinded a few days to see the glory of the Lord. And so Paul figures maybe it'll work for the sorcerer as well. But in Mark's defense, if you were to see one of your friends blind somebody, 
and God's behalf, you may too depart back to Jerusalem. So Paul is focused on building up the church, the churches that they've been to, while Barnabas wants to continue to teach Mark how to do ministry. Again, both of these are good intentions, but they don't think they can do them together. So they separate. Now you may say, what can we learn from this interaction? Who was right? The answer is both of them. Both of them had good intentions that would be the will of God, and yet they don't agree. The truth is, we're not called to always agree as Christians. We're called to love one another. God has put different purposes on each of our lives. And so we are free to disagree. But when we do, we must do it in a manner that allows God to use us for his work. We must do it in a manner that allows us to be used for God's glory. Few victories have been won and screaming matches and allowing ourselves to become so angry that we refuse to speak to others. You ever been there where you get in a fight with one person and you leave and you're still steaming, thinking of the thoughts? I should have said this. I could have said that. And you miss every opportunity to speak to the next person about the glory of God. We can take ourselves right out of an opportunity to glorify God because of our previous confrontation. And so as we look at this interaction, we're free to know that confrontation is allowed. We're allowed to disagree with one another, but we must not allow it to keep us from doing what God has called us to do. Both parties leave on different missions to glorify God, and God gets another team the team of Barnabas and Mark, and then Silas and Paul. So the work of Jesus Christ is actually doubled through a disagreement. See, confrontation isn't always bad. But when we do have confrontation, we should confront others in a way that makes them consider whether or not we're right. Calmly, concisely, and listening both to what they have to say, and listening to our hearts to decide if we're too angry to continue in the confrontation. As we continue to follow Paul, we'll see that in Acts 16, 1-5, he comes to a place called Derby and Lystra. There's a disciple there whose name is Timothy. He's the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconia, and Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek, and as they went there, and as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered for them for observance, the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in number daily. As I read this text, I was a little taken back 
Paul's on this journey of telling the Christians they don't need to be circumcised, the Gentiles, yet he circumcises Timothy. I could imagine this conversation. If I was Timothy, Paul's like, man, I've heard good things about you from the brothers, and I want to take you on this journey. We're going to be going to tell our Gentile brothers and sisters. There's no need for you to be circumcised, to be saved. So we want to take you with us. But before we do, we got to circumcise you. If I was Timothy, I'd have been like, wait a minute. So we're going to tell the brothers, there's no need to be circumcised. Yet, before I go, you want to circumcise me. In earlier chapters, the reason that they had decided not to circumcise the brothers, one of the things they said was, we don't want to put a yoke that neither us or our fathers could bear on the necks of our brothers and sisters. Yet this yoke is being placed on Timothy's neck. It makes you wonder, is Paul sacrificing the values that were just spoken about? The reality is he's not. Although Paul would fiercely defend against circumcision of the Gentiles, so much so that he would say, I wish that those who preach circumcision would go the whole measure and emasculate themselves. He was fiercely against this, yet he circumcises Timothy. And this is why Paul did not want Timothy's heritage to keep him from being able to preach to the Jews in the area. He knew it would be a point of contention. And so he decided, rather than having to explain again and again Timothy's heritage of being having a Greek-believing mother, or sorry, a Jewish-believing mother and a Greek father who did not believe, to make it clear who Timothy's allegiance was with, he was like, we're just going to circumcise you. And I guess Timothy agreed, because I just don't see him holding Timothy down. But what do we, what do we learn from this? We learn that one, Paul is not sacrificing his values, but instead he's enacting the same things he says in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and 23, it says, Paul is speaking, he says, For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more to them, more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside of the law I became as one outside of the law, not being outside of the law, of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside of the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. By all means, I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. So what can we learn from this confrontation of values. Clearly, Paul feels strongly about the circumcision of the Gentiles, yet he circumcises Timothy. What we learn is we're called to avoid confrontation that gets in the way of the gospel. Timothy's heritage would have been an issue. And so 
to keep from it being an issue so that Timothy could go and preach in the synagogues and to the Jews, he circumcises him. In the same way, though we're not called to be circumcised, we are called to avoid confrontation that gets in the way of us preaching and sharing the gospel with others. Imagine trying to share the gospel with your friend after arguing on Facebook with one of your mutual friends. It doesn't look good. When people see us fighting with others or condemning others, they don't think, man, I would love to hear about that Jesus from that guy, that girl. No, we're called to love our brothers and sisters. And Timothy's circumcision is actually an act of love to the Jews. On Timothy's behalf, he was all in. And so for us, this looks like instead of arguing over Facebook or fighting with someone, what if we take them to coffee? Hear their side of the story. It'll cost us $5 in about an hour of our time. But then we form a connection. It's hard to understand people behind keyboards, but when we're face-to-face, people can see that we love them, that we're interested in what they have to say, and possibly even walk in their shoes. Even if we don't share their values, we can understand how they got there. And maybe, just maybe, that'll lead to conversations about the Jesus that we love and the Jesus we hope to introduce them to. Let's follow Paul on this journey to his final confrontation, a confrontation with God. Acts 16, 6 to 10. It says, and they went through the region, they went through the region of Virgilia, Galatia, and Galatia having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Messiria, Messiah, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing Messenia, they went down to Torres, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately he sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. As I read this scripture, I realized sometimes the closed door is exactly the answer we've been looking for from God. It's funny because maybe y'all are holier than me, but sometimes when doors close in my life, I like to take a pry bar and try to open them up. I begin to complain about my journey, saying, God, why would you, why would you close this door? I feel like I'm stuck in the middle of where I want to be and where I was. And in those moments, I'm failing to realize that right in the journey, there's a purpose. That God is working outside of time to prepare a place for me and to set up things in order for his glory and his gospel's success. See, we can have good and holy desires, and the answer can still be no. 
Because God's plan is greater than our perception of what we should do. Feeling between where we want to be and where we was is a lie. The reality is, wherever God has us, there's purpose there. Paul desires to preach the gospel in many places, three in fact where God does not allow him to go. But instead, God continues him down a road until he catches the vision of what God has for him. This tells me that we must learn to observe what God is doing when we feel stuck on our journey. Because it's in that place that God will reveal what's next. So how do we do it? Well, we have to stay open to what God's doing by spending time in prayer with him, reading his scriptures, not only talking in our time of prayer, but listening and surrounding ourselves with brothers and sisters who can help us discern those moments of feeling stuck, of being in the middle. Sometimes it helps to have a voice on the outside. And we must trust that even when we can't see it, God is moving and working. That closed doors mean there's a better one ahead. So the question is for you, where is God calling you to? Who is he calling you to? To share this good news. There may be closed doors in your life, avenues in which you're not able to share God's good news. But that means that there is a door that's open. So then who or where is God calling you? As we close, know that confrontation will always come. But we must discern when it is best to stand up for what we believe. And when it's best to maximize the gospel by setting aside petty arguments, petty confrontation that ultimately will not matter. And we must be able to discern God's plan, understanding when our plan is not his. This is how we should approach confrontation, knowing that God always wins in the confrontation, that we don't always have to win, but we also don't have to always run. And maybe today you're here wondering, what is this all about? Who is it that we're singing? Is he worthy? His name is Jesus. Maybe you hear it because grandma brought you and the food is good after church. Or a friend invited you and you're wondering, what's the purpose of this church thing? Well, I'll tell you. See, there's this man, his name is Jesus Christ. And he lived the perfect life and died for our sins. See, he's the son of God. He's not just a man. But he is God incarnate. And he would live this perfect life because we could never do it. And he would die for our sins, taking our punishment. On the third day, he would rise from the grave, defeating sin and death for all of those who call on his name and believe in him. So no, we are no longer under the law, but we are under Christ. For you, if this is the first time you're hearing this, 
or the first time it's hitting your heart, God has you here for a purpose this morning. You're on a journey yourself, and it's a journey of discovery of who this wonderful Jesus is. Allow me to close us in prayer. As a... As I close, on the last song to the right and the left, there will be people there to pray for you uh, in our final song. Bow your heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity to come and to wrestle with you, Lord, to hear from you. God, I, I lift up to you Anne Rainey, who is no longer in the ICU but there's much healing to be done there, Father. We ask that you would continue to lay your healing hands on her. As she goes through her next steps, Father, just be with her, comfort her and her family. Father, I pray for Rebecca Ott and her surgery to come, Father. I pray that her diagnosis would be clear, Lord. You are the great physician, so show up in only ways that you can. Father, I pray for Gloria, who's been in and out of the hospital. Would you heal her body, Lord, and bring peace to her? I pray for safe travels for the Kalubi family, who's headed to the Congo, for Christy Rodiger and Mary Sue, who are returning from Africa on Monday. I pray safe travels for them. And I pray for Vanetta, for Vanetta's brother, Myron, that his treatment would be successful, Lord, and that you would heal him. I pray for the cares on the hearts of all those before me and those who are hearing online now and in the future to come. God, I lift these worries up to you. Help us, Father. Bring us your peace. It's in your Holy Son, Christ Jesus' name that I pray these things. Amen.